Hey everybody, welcome to the Threadcast. This is Ryan Smith, pastor at Common Thread Church. I hope that you're having a great day. Uh, this is our, our Threadcast that we call it. Uh, just a way to dive deeper into what we're studying and looking through. We're currently in a series called Salt and Light and looking at uh, different parts of the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes, and uh, looking at the part where Jesus calls us to be salt and light and doesn't call us to strive to be that, but that we are because that we live out these Beatitudes that we're walking through. And as we dive into today's Beatitudes, chapter 5, verse 8, I want to read all of it again just to kind of remind us of the whole package. I think sometimes we can get focused in on a single tree and sometimes miss the forest. And so I want to continue to read all this in one sitting with you. Starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecute the prophets who are before you. And in that last part, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its, on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so today we're in verse 8, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they will see God. I was just thinking again about um, how great it was Sunday to be with everyone um, from the UK, uh, Indiana, all over Ohio, and hear different insights into what was going on. Uh, Love what Mary and Nikon brought to the conversation and how we see the pure heart. And we talked about just how hard, how hard it is. This one is the pure in heart that we beat ourselves up um, with it a little bit as to what it means and, and how to wrestle with it. And I want to encourage you to remember that we're breaking the Beatitudes up into three sections. You know, the first, what, the first uh, one, two, three, four, four uh, Beatitudes are, are those people who are on the fringe, those people who who are, are poor in spirit, who are mourning, who are meek, uh, who are hungering and thirsting because life has left them um, wanting more. And God saying, hey, those people, those people are going to become prominent in my kingdom. And the verses 7, 8, and 9 are about the idea of those who stand up for those in the first four verses. And the last one we're going to talk about later on is this idea that that God promises that when you do stand up, um, that it's not going to be easy and that there's going to be some persecution involved. But today I want us to continue to talk about blessed are the pure in heart. And this is one of those that is tough because we know we know our hearts. We know how messed up we can be and we know how um, dirty and ugly our hearts can become. And so this is something that we struggle with. What does this look like? 
And we know that when we were small, our hearts are, are pure. But as we get older, our hearts have become cluttered with debris that over a lifetime looks like a kitchen, a kitchen junk drawer jammed with 5, 10, 20 years of things that we should have cast off but could not let go of. My own drawer is stuffed with little wounds that the world crammed in my heart like so many useless receipts, doubt, and anxiety that have accumulated like a dozen chewed-up pencils at the bottom of the drawer or even the, or even the cracked and worthless sunglasses with lenses that were socially engineered to see the world in color, size, gender, education, and even class. So how do we reclaim a time when our drawer was so lined perfectly with just the paper and was open and impure? Um, there's a, a theologian <clears throat> who wrote this book. Um, his name's Martin Bubber, um, and it's called I and Thou. Uh, it's written, I think, like in 1920s sometime. And it talks about how we can experience uh, uh, this kind of diverse world. And he says that people can engage the world in two distinct ways. Through an I-it regard, I-it regard of the created world, or an I-thou relationships. So I-it Transactions apprehend the discrete entities around one as objects to be used or disregarded. So the I, it means that everything around me is just for me. It's just for me to use, to uh, to do with what I will, um, and then to just let it go. But if you have an I, thou orientation, it, it liberates um, the things around you that you regard the people around you, the animals, that everything, even the crepe myrtles, that everything around you uh, is a vessel of the sacred spark, not an object to be subdued and exploited like the I-it. So, when my heart is truly open or pure, like a child drinking in this amazing world, then I'm able to regard the other as thou. And in so doing, I see and acknowledge God in them. Furthermore, this orientation infuses me with the understanding that I, too, am a bearer of God's pure light. In the I-thou relationship, there is a wholeness of being in which the individual can always see God, be in relationship with God through the daily relationships with the world. So in the I-thou relationship, there is no junk drawer full of ideas cluttering the space between the regarded and the regarding. There are no barriers with separate, which separate the individual from God, and thus in seeing the divine in one another, we can see God. So Jesus demonstrated this meaning um, throughout his ministry, never once treating a person he encountered merely as the label his society, his respected religious leaders had placed on them. The tax collector, the bleeding woman, the rich man, the leper were all invited into a real relationship with Jesus to turn and love God and themselves as God loves them. So, as I understand it, purity of heart is the ability to see the spark of divinity in all creation, especially the people we meet every day. When we interact with one another with truly open hearts and minds, we chance truly seeing and experiencing God in ways that our previously junked up minds could not. So, that's all nice and pretty, right? And it all sounds lovely, but it is as hard as hell to do right, um, and I know for sure that I'm not, um, or will I ever engage the world with this perpetually pure heart? So, back to this question how do I empty that junk drawer? There are tiny ways in every day 
that I move past people, barely taking time to, to look at them in the eye, much less uh, look at them as a whole person created fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of the Creator. Did I truly see the woman who helped me bag my groceries or the man who rung up my gas or uh, the mob of teenagers gathered at the corner uh, gas station or, or the cop who's sitting in his, his patrol car? How easily they can become objects on my daily landscape if I don't slow down just enough to see them. I mean, really see them. So how in our frantic lives do we slow down in order to be in genuine relationship with each person that God puts in our path. So the only answer I have, and I am—I hate saying this out loud I because I, I'm not great at it, but the only answer I have is prayer, prayer, and more prayer. That that, that is what cultivates our heart um, that is perpetually practicing the presence of God by trying to speak with Him. Only when I allow God to work with me and through me can I hope to cultivate a heart that sees God. It's this idea that if I'm not trying to seek Him or speak to Him, how can I see Him? And so in being, in, in, in experiencing prayer and trying to participate in prayer, no matter how awkward it feels, it is my attempt at being with the divine. But in that attempt, it allows me to see. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of what's whirling around in my head right now. So purity of heart, it's obviously important to Jesus. Um, We see it in Matthew's gospel that Jesus frames spirituality as centered in the heart. You know, he talks about uh, anger and lust and how those all come from the heart. Uh, You can look in verse chapter 15, I think 1 through 20 for some of those. Um, But purity of heart is not an isolated phenomenon um, in Scripture. Like in Isaiah 6, 5 through 7, you see a fundamental connection between purity of heart and eye and mouth. So purity also involves innocence of hands. Those who are pure of heart are not violent. They do not shed innocent blood. They are peacemakers. They pursue righteousness and flee youthful passions. They are obedient to the truth, which involves sincere brotherly love, you see in 1 Peter 1, 22. So indeed, those who are pure of heart are pure in other ways as well. It doesn't mean they always get it right, but there is this essence to you that, that when you are seeking uh, the divine, that your life changes, that there's something different. Now, Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan is an illustration of what it looks like to have a pure heart. So first, the priest and the Levite are the characters we would think to be pure because they are morally clean. They follow all the rules meticulously. They recite all the doctrine flawlessly. But sadly, their perfect performance of piety hardens their hearts so that they don't see God in the wounded traveler on the side of the road. When the Samaritan stops to help the wounded traveler, It's not out of obedience to any particular rule. Do you hear that? It's because he's moved with pity. In other words, he does see God in the wounded traveler. It has everything to do with his heart, 
which has somehow uncluttered and unself-justified enough to see the face of the other or the thou. True obedience to God does not look like meticulous rule following. It looks like being moved by love. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan as his response to a lawyer's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That means that the posture the Good Samaritan embodies is what salvation looks like. For some Christian, this story means that the church should focus on community service and charity work and not worry so much about prayer and the Bible and all that other stuff. But that misses a critical linchpin of this story. That you can do all kinds of community service work and provide material help to marginalized people with a heart of stone. In fact, some of the meanest people in the world are those who have to deal with the frustrations of working with poor people all the time and don't have any adequate practices of spiritual self-care. So we don't just need to do what the Samaritan did. We need to have the heart of the Samaritan. Again, it's not an either or, but it's one of those both ands. A pure heart is a heart that can be moved by the Holy Spirit. To maintain this posture of perpetual open surrender requires daily crucifixion and resurrection. Two church words we haven't talked about in a while. The best way to offer myself to be crucified and resurrected is through a life of prayer and discipline. So the reason for fasting, for praying, for immersing myself in Scripture is so that when I see the wounded traveler, my heart will make me stop. If I'm not sufficiently surrendered, I will not stop, or I will not stop for spiritually toxic self or or i will just stop for spiritually toxic and self-justifying reasons right that there are times where we do good not because i'm moved by love but because i'm moved by my to-do list that i'm supposed to get done the pure in heart are those whose hearts are like leaves blowing about in the breath of god that's a that's a quote i found i love it i'm gonna read it again the pure in heart are those whose hearts are like leaves blowing about in the breath of God. They are true icons of God because they can see God in the face of the other. And so that's our goal. What does it mean for us to be leaves being blown around by the breath of God? Does it mean I'm always going out looking for my people to serve and to check off my list? Or do I allow who God puts in front of me, um, however random it might be, that I see that person as a true image bearer? And so for us, that's what we wrestle with, what it means to be pure in heart. That we see God not just in the eternal and not just in the future, but that we see God now in the divine, in the creation. Mary put it so eloquent, 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 I can't even say eloquently, eloquently. (laughs) Mary said it so beautifully uh, this past Sunday when she talked about how we can see see God in, in creation around us. That is what this is about. But I also want us to come back to this idea that as we are talking about the three sections of the Beatitudes, that to be pure in heart means that I'm able to see those that are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, those who are meek because of how people of power have put them there. Or I see those who are hungering and thirsting for justice, who are crying out to be helped. That instead of seeing them as just 
fringe people who, who I step over or I move past or that just doesn't fit into my time schedule. When I become someone who is plugged in, seeking God and, and want a pure heart, I see the divine in those. And so that is the challenge for us, is that for us to see God or to see those around us as the, you know, through the lens of the common thread, we seek to be pure in heart. I just want to say one last thing on this. As we wrestle with this concept of pure in heart, this isn't a self-righteous, uh, I'm holier than thou kind of mentality. This idea that when I claim to be pure in heart, that I am God. Because we know we're not. We talked about that earlier. We all have the junk drawer. But even though that's true, we still are called to be people who seek to be pure in heart. And so that's the challenge this week. What does that look like for you? What do you need to do um, to begin that process of emptying out your junk drawer? Um, What does that look like for you? So I'd love to see um, what you come up with in the comments in Workplace. Uh, For those that are hearing this maybe on iTunes or out on the internet, um, we have an app that we have conversations through called Workplace. If you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, let me know. My name is Ryan Smith. I'm at Common Thread Church. You can find me on Facebook. You can find us on our website, and just let us know. Uh, my my email is Ryan at CommonThread.Church. That's what I got today, guys. I hope that you have a good week um, here in the states. We're still in the election time, so I don't know when you hear this. Um, what does it look like for us to see God in those who are voting differently than us? Another kind of question out there. Anyways, hope this uh, gives you something to think about, something to chew on, and uh, may we be people who seek to become pure in heart. Have a great day. Grace and peace.